To your family and friends of First Lutheran Church, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. In the midst of our lives, there's a question, a question that guides much of our thinking. Whether we're young or old, whether it's a question that's there subconsciously or consciously, and this question that we ask of ourselves is, who am I? Who am I? In a word, it's the question of identity. And I think that it's especially weighing heavily upon many in our culture today. A time the 20th century poet T.S. Eliot has pictured as the wasteland. A landscape riddled with broken trophies, discarded varsity jackets, rusted out sports cars, empty makeup kits, and old, faded photos. And so we hear this question over and over in our daily lives, in such catchphrases as identity crisis, or sexual gender crisis, or identity, or identity theft. Now, I believe there are at least three basic answers to this question that we often hitch our wagon in life to answers that we seek to give, but in the end, put us to death. The first one is, you are what you have. The second answer is, you are what you do. The third one is, you are what people say about you. So, is it true that what's at the core of who you are is dependent upon matters of success or power or popularity? For example, if you lose your job, are you a loser? If people talk trash about you, are you garbage? Or if you fail an exam, are you a failure? No. Jesus came into the world to tell us, to show us, going even to the lengths of a cross to prove to us that these are false identities. And if this is what we hitch our wagons of life to, what's going on here? Again, it's identity theft. And so Jesus came into the world to claim us with an everlasting, beloved identity saying, you are not what the world tries to make you with all of its conditionalities. But rather, you are a child of God, unconditionally. Here is your true identity. And all the other material stuff in our lives is accidental. It's secondary. This morning, led by the spirit of our text in Matthew chapter 4, 
We're about to be engaged with Jesus on a journey into the wilderness, those parched and lonely places of life where our identities in such times and places can be so easily, sorely tested, tempted. It's a wilderness experience of temptations and testing before Jesus now begins his ministry of ushering in God's kingdom come. Behold, says John the Baptist, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the kingdom at hand. Taking on all the devilish voices that seek to pull us away from trusting in God. Those whispered sweet nothings of empty promises. But before we begin this journey as Jesus leads us, it's absolutely essential that we understand what the foundation is. What are the wellsprings that give Jesus strength as he continues now in his journey, making his way all the way to Jerusalem and the cross? Now let me ask you, what just happened to Jesus before he's led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tested by the devil? I'll give you a clue. His hair is still wet. Hmm? Yes, he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And what do you suppose is the significance of Jesus' baptism? The heavens, as you recall, in Matthew chapter 3, just before our text for today, the heavens are torn open and a dove alights upon Jesus and there's this divine endorsement, this voice that says to Jesus, you are my beloved son, on you my favor rests. This is the foundation for his ministry, his identity that centers him throughout all of his ministry. You see, from Jesus' baptism, he's immersed from the very beginning into his ministry, into this fantastic foundational reality that he is the beloved of God. And it is this lasting identity of being God's beloved that carries all of us now with Jesus as our guide into the wilderness of temptation. It's an attempted identity theft by the devil and powers of the world. And each of these three temptations, note, has a view of what it means to be a child, a son or daughter of God. And so it is that the devil, the prince of lies, is going to go right after the heart of the matter here, and that is Jesus' identity. Look with me, those of you who have your Bibles still open, to the text. The first temptation, right out of the chute, it's there in verse 3. The devil says, if you are the Son of God then command these stones to become loaves of bread. Note he doesn't say since or you are, but he casts it into a doubt, a question mark, if you are the Son of God. And how does Jesus respond? On the basis of Scripture in verse 4, he says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This from Deuteronomy 8, 3. You see, the word 
has already come forth from God's mouth. And the word is what? Beloved. Here's the foundational identity. But there's a problem. The beloved is hungry. He's not full. At least not on the physical level. And so the devil is tempting Jesus. If you are the beloved, then let's face it. Let's face it. You should be full. And so the tempter is saying to Jesus, if you are the son of God, then I mean stones churn to bread. Use the power to fill yourself, for the Son of God must always be filled, no matter what, right? You deserve the very best. I think the devil had a PhD in marketing. But Jesus is saying, I'm the beloved Son, and I'm hungry, I'm empty. I'm the beloved Son, and I will be hungry on this level. But the fact that I'm hungry on this level will never take away the fact that I'm loved. I won't play the if-then quid pro quo game. I'm the beloved son, and I'm hungry. I can put the two together, says Jesus, because every word I live comes forth from the mouth of God, and the foundational word is always, always the beloved. So not every time hardship or pain strikes me do I question this reality, this promise of God for me, says Jesus, that I am the beloved. This is who I am. My friends, the temptation here is the suggestion that to be a child of God is to have privilege and power, fullness at all times on every level. But Jesus is saying, not so. That's not what true identity is. God's word is the only true lasting bread. The bread that nourishes deep down. That claiming unconditioned word that we, that we are children of God. For terrifically strong forces of temptation pound on us every day attempting to enthrone something or person other than God as sovereign. And in all three temptations, please note, Jesus teaches that God's nourishing will is there for us always in his word, in scripture, and is present in a church that reads scripture like bread. In a time in which we have so much biblical illiteracy. There are so many tempting, testing voices in our culture that take Scripture and twist it and use it for purposes and agendas, pulling the text out of the context for one's own end. But Scripture interprets Scripture, and we need to be wise as serpents, yet gentle as doves. And so we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Temptation 2, there in verse 5, exactly. The devil is twisting and distorting the meaning of Psalm 91. Again, in temptation number 3, in verses 8 and 9, 
The devil is attempting here what Martin Luther calls a theology of glory. But Jesus is having none of it. He's already looking toward Jerusalem and the cross of a power and identity that St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. An identity made perfect in weakness. Jesus is saying, this is not a power I adore or that works through me, but the power that is in me is greater than all the kingdoms of the world because it's the power of one who made them and calls them the beloved. This is not some conditioned, if you do this, then I will love you. Or if you do that, I will love you. Rather, it's the grace-filled, forgiving, unconditioned word of God that says, I love you because I love you because I love you because I love you because I love you. Do you hear any ifs or thens or ands or buts there? No. As Jesus promises in John chapter 10, no one and nothing shall ever steal you away from my saving hands. To conclude, my friends, God's word for us at its heart is about Jesus' identity as the Son of God who has overcome the power of sin, death, and the devil for you. But also insofar as you belong to Jesus, it's a story about your identity as well. Yes, there are those devilish voices in our heads in the world that say, well, come on, if you're a Christian, life should be much more smooth, right? If you're a Christian, then you should have all kinds of privilege and power. You should be healthier, safer. But now you know what to say to this, right? Jesus has taught you. It's right there in verse 10. Be gone, Satan, says Jesus. And so what he's saying to you is when the tempter comes into your life, splash some baptismal water in his face and listen for a scratchy, witchy voice that sounds like something right out of the Wizard of the Oz at the very end with that bucket of water, that pitchy, witchy, black, hooded, devil that says, I'm melting, and then is gone. My friends, there's another voice that was with you long before and will remain long after, infinitely more beautiful and satisfying that you are the beloved with an enfolding, pierced hand of love and a voice that says, in you, I'm well pleased no matter what. Go now and share this word today with people who are hungering, who are dying to hear this word. Because of Jesus, the church knows something about God and the world that for the most part, the world does not know about itself, namely that it is greatly loved. In the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just before being put to death at the Nazi concentration camp, he penned these words in his poem entitled, Who Am I? Who am I, writes Dietrich? I am really that which other people tell me. 
Or am I only what I myself know of myself? Who am I this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Who am I? Thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Amen.